Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, alongside John Paul Basham. Yo! And a special guest that I can't wait to introduce to you here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review. We love to hear what you think of the podcast so that we can make it better for you, amazing student pastors out there. You can uh, hit five stars if you like. And But be honest, we just like five the best and tell us what you think. Thanks in advance for doing that. Our guest today is Sean McDowell. He is a gifted communicator with a passion for equipping the church, particularly young people, to make the case for the Christian faith. He has a PhD in apologetics and worldview from Southern Seminary and is an associate professor in apologetics at Biola University, travels the world speaking in the realm of apologetics and worldview, and is the author of more than 20 books. 20 is a lot of books. He's also the co-host of the Think Biblically podcast, so make sure you go and give it a listen. His new book and Bible study releasing in December 2020 is called Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a confused culture. You can find out more about that book and study at lifeway.com slash chasing love. Sean, it's great to have you on the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. Thanks for making time to do this with us. You betcha. I've been looking forward to it. So we have a special treat for you listeners of the podcast uh, this week. Every day this week, we're going to have a new episode that continues from day to day uh, featuring Sean talking around the area of love, sex, gender, and relationships, going along with his new book and study, Chasing Love, as I mentioned just a second ago. And today, uh, the, this first episode in this four-part series, we're really going to look at five specific issues, all in this category of love, sex, gender, relationships. Um, and we're going to identify these five main specific areas that kind of rise to the top and how these issues are impacting teenagers specifically. So, Sean, I'll run through real quickly just name the topics that uh, kind of have risen to the surface that you walk through in uh, the book and the study, and then would love to hear uh, just some things from you on how you're seeing these specific issues impact teenagers today in our culture. So these five issues are uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, and sexual identity. So LGBTQ issues, uh, hookup culture, sexual abuse, and abortion. Yeah, this is a range of topics that our students sure are dealing is. with today, which shows how difficult it is for kids to develop a biblical view of sexuality when they're getting mixed messages about abortion. They're hearing about this Me Too movement. They're hearing about this LGBTQ conversation. And there's so many voices nonstop on so many issues. If kids aren't grounded in a biblical view, they're going to be taken away by some of these faulty ideas. Now, one of the, the distinctions I would make with this generation from previous generations is this is no longer an issue that's just out there to deal with. These are very personal issues for students. So the LGBTQ conversation, to be specific, when I was in high school in the 90s, there was rumors about kids maybe who were gay. And there were comments people would use that were inappropriate, obviously, to refer to certain games and people with same-sex attraction. That's just the way culture was. 
but it wasn't like it was praised in culture and it wasn't a personal issue for people that was in their face in every song, every movie and their friends. So it shifted from an issue out there to one that's very close and personal to them. And that's also true of the sex abuse issue. There were stories, and of course, it happened arguably probably as much decades in the past, but now they're seeing movies and they're hearing it talked about in the news where this issue of sexual abuse is very personal to them. And that's also true with abortion. Now there's these campaigns on social media, shout your abortion. And with everybody having a voice to proclaim through social media, these issues have become just so much more personal for this generation. So they're no longer academic. They're dealing with their friends. They're dealing with their neighbors. They're dealing with their peers, which transforms the way we have to approach and deal with these issues. Man, that's such a great point. The the far awayness of it or the distance of it from last year, my generation, a couple generations ago to it being right here. Like now students are being forced to wrestle with what they believe about these issues in the context of, man, I have a relationship with this person and like, I love them. Like they're, they're a friend, they're perhaps a family member. And so how do I reconcile what I'm hearing on one side and what I believe about this with somebody that I deeply, deeply care about? And I think you add to that, that so oftentimes in the minds of this generation, the biblical view of sexuality feels archaic. It feels out of date and it almost feels bad and evil to some people. So you might remember just this past recently, Chris Pratt, one of the Avengers was criticized from the wider culture for being a Christian. And the Avengers came beside him and said, look, it's not evil to be a Christian. And I heard that and I thought, my goodness, how far have we come? Mm. Not that our culture always lived it, but in principle, it's like Christian ideals were at least held up on a pedestal as it related to sexual issues of the way things should be, even though people didn't live it. Now, the best we can do is say, look, he's not evil because he goes to a church that embraces a biblical standard of sexuality. That's the pressure these kids are getting nonstop. So it's not just that they're thinking, oh, I want to follow Jesus. That's right. If I follow Jesus and I believe this, does that mean I'm a bigot? Does that mean I'm hateful? Does that mean I'm intolerant? So it's a heart and a head issue. And so many in this generation don't know why scripture teaches what it teaches. It feels archaic, out of date. Well, no wonder so many don't embrace and live out this biblical view of sexuality. So I want to come back to the side of it that how do I have this conversation without being a bigot and without coming across with hatred? Um I want to come back to that in just a minute. So you guys could help me remember if I forget. But before we get to that, I, why is it important that teenagers get it right with a biblical worldview in this area of life specifically? Why, like, why is this the, the sexual area of life important for them to see with a biblical lens? Well, theologically speaking, it's interesting. Sometimes I ask students a question. I'll say, 
what is it that that humans can make that lasts forever? And students will regularly say, nothing. And I'll say, well, what lasts the longest? And they'll say like Machu Picchu or the pyramids or caveman art. They don't think we can make anything that lasts forever. And I and I'll tip rarely will they get the point that I'm making. I'll say, actually, there is something we can make that lasts forever. It's other human beings. <laughs> It's other human beings. The act of sex is the one act humans can do that brings an eternal being into existence. Can we see how powerful that is and why Satan would be so intent upon twisting it? So theologically, I'm not saying sex is the greatest sin. That is not my point. I think idolatry is the greatest sin. Of course, sex is good and it's beautiful according to God's design. I mean, sexual morality is not a sin. But I think there's something about sexuality that God has made it beautiful. God has made it good. And Satan knows he can twist it. And my father done some research on on pornography uh, with the Barn Research Group. And one thing that came out of it that stunned me is he said, what happens when a young person begins to get into pornography is it breaks down their commitment to biblical authority. It actually starts to transform their biblical worldview. So in many ways, if we can't get this issue right, how are we going to trust that God is good? How are we going to trust that the scriptures are true? Why are we going to follow God in other areas of our life if he gets it wrong on this one issue that our culture is consumed with? So I'm careful to not overstate this issue because I think sexual purity campaigns in the past just said it's all about sex. Everything is about sex. Yeah. And we forgot to talk about gossip and coveting and other <laughs> issues. So I'm not trying to bring this out of balance, but I do think Satan wants to uniquely use this because the power and nature of relationships and sexuality to confuse this generation and mess them up spiritually. Sean, I really appreciate your, you've been very careful all through the process to, to make sure that we navigate the, the conversation that's been around over the last 10 years or so around purity culture and that really over the last few years really kind of ballooned to say that, hey, this conversation maybe has been taken in some unhealthy directions in the past. But I still think that this conversation around sexuality, um, because of the nature of this struggle in the lives of people, has a, a disproportionate effect, negative effect, in the lives of so many people because of, well, more reasons than probably we have time to dig into. But uh, the level of intimacy that comes with that and what that intimacy draws our hearts to and how effectively it draws our hearts away from the Lord, it becomes a very scary place to watch students slowly creeping into. Um, so how do you how do you continue to weigh that and help student pastors and student ministry leaders weigh that, that, that huge importance in this category, this, you know, this pursuit for a young person towards purity, um, remaining important, remaining a weighty one, but not getting to the place where it's 
all encompassing and and the only focus. I think we do this in, in in a couple ways. Number one, it's making sure we actually talk about and address other issues. So if every other talk is on sexual purity, if it's you know every month we have our sexual purity talk, I think we're overdoing it and just not even in our words, but the time we commit to this is going to send that message. So when I plan out my curriculum, this is teaching at a Christian high school, I look at a full year and I kind of plan out how much time I spend on different issues to make sure there is a balance. Now, I'm probably going to spend more time on sexuality than a lot of other topics because it's just so pressing with this generation. The other thing is not so much time, but how we talk about issues. And one of the ways that I arrange the book is I start off by arranging the book of clearing away so many of the bad ideas that young people are tempted to adopt from our culture about truth, about love, about freedom. And then in the middle, I talk about now here's God's design for sex. Here's God's design for singleness. Here's God's design for marriage. And then at the end, I talk about the more, what you might say, thorny, controversial issues, whether it's pornography, living together, um, sex abuse, the LGBTQ conversation, where we now see a twisting of God's original design. So that pattern is very purposeful, that people see God has a design, God has a plan, and here's what happens when we twist that plan. I think it helps young people see that when we talk about sex, it's not what we're against, but it's actually what we're for. And what we're for is good and it's beautiful and it's good. Good and beautiful and good. I said it twice. It's good and it's beautiful and it's true. That's (laughs) how good good. it is. It's really, really good. Um, So I think it's not only the amount of time we spend on it, but how we talk about issues of sexuality, being careful not to set up straw men of other views, being careful not to demonize people who hold a different perspective, and being careful to bring it back to the character of God, grounding why we talk about this issue. So I don't just talk about it because it's an issue in our culture. I talk about it because God is pure and God is holy and God is righteous. And he talks about it in the scripture and has a good design and plan for our lives. Yeah, I think one of the things that I so appreciate about you and and one of many reasons that I really wanted you to be the voice for this is because you do such a good job of saying, okay, here's the thing we're going to talk about. Let's put our finger on this thing that we're going to talk about. But but let's talk about what things maybe you don't see. Let's think about what things you're not realizing about this. And so there's a stepping back of informing what comes before this direct issue that we're going to deal with. And that's what I think that you're doing when you when you root this in the gospel to begin with. What is truth? Mm. You know, is there a standard here that we should be thinking about before we even begin to address this kind of hot button that becomes so divisive? And like you said, makes students question, am I a bigot if I'm against this? Am I you know, am I a hypocrite and the people that I'm friends with and the things that the way that I answer something at school versus the way that I answer something at church and uh, the things that I watch, the things that I listen to, how does this mm. all play in? It, it has to start at one central place. And that central place for us as believers, we know is the gospel. 
and then working from there, you do such a good job to say, okay, let's let's put in order all of the things that maybe we're not considering as we try to have this conversation. Hmm. I, I really appreciate that you you pick up on that and for roping me into this project, John Paul. I owe you a ton. <laughs> But you, you are absolutely right in terms of how I think about this. Some of this is my training in philosophy and having worked with students for so long. I've talked with students and I talk about love and I say, hey, treat your date lovingly. And then I realize they're funneling that phrase through a definition of love that is not a biblical love. Hmm. I'll say, hey, if you follow God's plan, you'll be more free. And they don't understand the way they think about free and freedom is yeah. not a biblical view of freedom. And this is true for their hearts and it's true for their minds. So that's why the whole first third of the book is saying, okay, let's unpack and rewire the way you even approach this question. Because my, I think studies show and my experience weighs out that most kids in the best Christian homes, the best Christian schools, the best youth groups, are far more influenced by a secular view of freedom, of truth, of beauty, of love, than they are a biblical view. And if we skip that step, they're going to interpret what our message is and scripture is very, very differently. Special thanks to Sean McDowell for joining us for this episode and the other three episodes in the series on teenagers, love, sex, gender, and relationships. I want to encourage you to listen to those. If you want to find out more about Sean's new book and Bible study called Chasing Love, you can go to lifeway.com slash chasing love. I also wanted to let you know about a longer conversation that Sean and I had over on YouTube at Student Ministry That Matters. If you want more of this kind of content, and uh, Sean and I are able to dive in a little bit deeper because of the longer conversation there. So head over to Student Ministry That Matters. And this has been another episode of the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.